Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Helen Riles about the 42 side projects that she's launched over the past 10 years. And we dig into the no-code movement, which I know what it is. And like you, I probably have a concept in my mind, but I wanted to speak with someone who's knee-deep in the no-code movement and find out how she thinks about it. But before we get into that, I wanted to tell you about something we've launched with MicroConf on air. And what it is, is we're going back through the best MicroConf talks of all time. And we're taking the audio tracks from those talks. And we are releasing one every Tuesday morning on the MicroConf on air podcast. So microconfpodcast.com or you can go to any podcatcher and search for MicroConf on air. And every Tuesday morning, there will be a new MicroConf talk. And every Thursday morning, there will be an audio release of our Wednesday MicroConf on air live stream. We have three talks that have already been released, so you can go check them out. These are three of the top five rated MicroConf talks of all time. The first one is from Joanna Weeb, proven ways to widen your funnel using just your calls to action. The other one is designing the ideal bootstrap business from Jason Cohen. And the third is playing the long game, making entrepreneurship a sustainable life by my wife, Dr. Sherry Walling. Coming up are talks from Patio 11, a talk from me, 11 years to overnight success, where I talk about the drip exit and what that all looked like. And then we're going to go on. We're going to dig into the best talks of MicroConf. We have close to 200 of them. So we have a lot of, of content to release that you can, you know, you can listen to via audio. So you don't have to, you don't have to sit and watch a video because I struggled to watch videos even at 1.7x speed. And this is a way where you can stream it while you're doing the dishes, just like any other podcast, and we'll drip them out over time so it doesn't feel like a bunch of homework. So it feels like a jolt of creativity or inspiration at that moment when you need it. So for that, check out the MicroConf on Air podcast. In addition, I have mentioned in the past that Basecamp is a headline partner of MicroConf. And as part of that, here is a 60-second message from Basecamp. And as I've said in the past, I don't plan to sell ads on Startups for the Rest of Us or to have ads running every week or anything like that. At this point, it's pretty infrequent. But with that, let's listen to the 60-second spot from Basecamp. We asked founders and entrepreneurs why they switched to Basecamp when their company started to grow. Christina had just hired some more people. When it came to internal communication, everything was all over the place. There was more work and more people than before, and no way to keep track of it all. Sometimes information was in an email, sometimes in the chat room. They spent too much time on conference calls to figure out what was going on. Then one day, they almost missed a deadline for an important customer because the information was in the wrong place. She knew they needed to get organized, but all the software she looked at seemed complicated, and it would take too long to train everybody. Then she found Basecamp. Basecamp puts all of your internal communication in one place so nothing slips through the cracks. And unlike other tools, Basecamp has an incredibly simple structure organized around your teams and projects. Your team will immediately understand and start using it when they see the two-minute introduction video on our site. Go to Basecamp.com to learn more and start a free trial. Thanks to Basecamp for supporting independent builders. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Helen Riles, where again, we dig into the 42 side projects she's launched over the past decade, as well as dig into and hear her experience with the no code movement. Hope you enjoy the show. So Helen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a lovely to be speaking with you. I've been watching some of the stuff you're doing on Twitter, talking about all these side projects you've launched. And I think at last count, are you over 40 now? 
yeah, around about 40, 42, something like that. Yeah. Excellent. And are they all no code? Like, did you write code for any of them? Some are custom coded apps. Some I have done some coding for, some that I've hired developers for as well. So uh, I'd say the, the large majority are probably um, no code related or kind of using existing tools to to build something new, really. So yeah, I think there's quite a mix in there. I think each one is is quite different and uses a different tool set, really. What language or languages do you code in by choice when, you, when you're given the, the chance? Yeah, I mean, my kind of development experience is quite limited in terms of my day job doesn't really require any kind of coding, but I've kind of done a little bit of Python, a little bit of Ruby on Rails, enough to kind of uh, spaghetti code my way <laughs> into something I want to make. But often even just starting with a template or starting with something pre-existing is a lot easier to to work from. Yeah. So even just things like writing simple scripts to automate batch files and things like that, there's different ways you can kind of work things on the back end, even if, even if it's not necessarily something you're building from scratch, there's lots of ways you can kind of use even base level of coding skills to, to produce a project really. Yeah, no, I hear that. I So I learned to code when I was eight and then I was a professional developer in the day job and then on my own products for about, I would say, it depends on how you count, but probably about 13 years. And at a certain point, we just decided it was much better for the for the businesses if I didn't put my hacky commando code into the source source code repo anymore. I, I like to joke that, that my co-founder Derek revoked my right privileges to GitHub. It didn't actually happen, but it kind of was, we were just kind of like, hey, my time is better spent, but also... I just don't have the time to keep the chops up so that I'm any good at anything anymore, you know? So while I still hack, I mean, I'll hack PHP on the weekend just for kicks or to hit an API or like I started teaching myself Python maybe a year and a half ago, you know, then I went and started Tiny Seed, so <laughs> got distracted. But I agree, I mean, I still will hack together little scripts to do this with an image or just utilities and stuff. So batch scripts are just having just enough knowledge to do it, I think is so important. So like leading into your experience then, I'm fascinated... I think like the first question is 42 of these small apps that you've launched, it's a very atypical approach to doing things, right? Most people, I mean, I've been trying to convince people for years that like to do the stair-step approach of, hey, build one thing small, get a little bit of revenue, then build a few more, you pile those on, and then eventually you buy out your own time and then you can get and do the big the big home run, quote unquote, you know, whatever that is for people. Maybe it's a SaaS app or something like that. And I still find so many people are like, nope, I'm going to go from now and I'm going to build this SaaS app as my first app in this big competitive space because that's what I see everybody else doing. But you are literally taking the like the opposite approach to that. And I'm wondering what has motivated you to, to take the approach? Yeah, I think for me, I build side projects because I want to see my ideas exist, not necessarily because I want to run them like long-term as particular businesses. There are definitely things I would consider doing that with. I think for lots of people, perhaps earning more money or freeing up time is kind of a, a big motivator. But for me, I guess it's kind of like a hobby, like, you know, as somebody who's interested in woodworking, they don't necessarily just stop making one day. You know, their idea is to kind of keep practicing and keep building new things. And I think partially the fastest way to stop making and testing new ideas is to have your time taken up by a full-time full-time company really so i guess for me the more things that can enable me to build new things is is most interesting to me i like the parallel you made there to to woodworking in that again folks listening to this probably know that my goal with products software products was to quit the day job so i didn't have to consult 
and I wanted to own my own time so I could work on whatever I wanted because I always struggled to enjoy what I was doing at the day job. You know, I would work for a year and then get really bored at any place. So I was kind of a unemployable is the, is the way I, I think about it. But it doesn't sound like that's the case for you. It sounds like the motivation is much more about building interesting things that interest you and like woodworking or, I mean, I was going to say stamp collecting. I collect comic books, like old, you know, Silver Age comic books. Like I do that. I do also make money doing that, but not that much compared to my time. My time would be so much better spent doing something else. So, but I just love it. You know, I love the, the experience of it. And it sounds like that's why you're building these apps. Definitely. Well, I guess my end goal is to have more time making those things really. And I think the skills that you learn from one definitely snowball into the next one and it gets easier to spot ideas and trends and patterns and pick up on ideas and collect evidence for a project that you think has a better chance of succeeding. So it's quite nice to kind of take one product that's quite different to the next, but still try and have some experience and get better the more things you create really. It's kind of sort of trying to increase your chances of luck by rolling the dice as many times as you can. Right. I've heard you talk about the parallels, this concept I have of, of like building the tool belt, you know, and part of stair-stepping is that when you start out, you, you either have either no skills or typically one skill. So if you're a developer, you know how to write code. And if you're a copywriter, you know how to write copy. And if you're a salesperson, you know how to be salesy or whatever. But building this tool belt, like, you know, it's like I imagine the batarang or, or maybe you're, you know, a construction worker. It's like, oh, I'm going to learn to do AdWords on this one. And I'm going to learn to do SEO. And I'm going to learn to do maybe, you know, pay-per-click ads, or I'm going to learn to do word-of-mouth marketing, or I'm going to learn to use this new no-code tool. And you've talked about that as well. I think you you referred to it as your snowball effect. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I think going back to your sort of coining the phrase about the stair-step approach, I remember reading that article probably back in 2015 and thinking, kind of realizing that it's actually okay to do that, I think. I think originally I was always quite unsure if that's an okay thing to do. And maybe I was kind of feeling almost bad for constantly creating things and that I should maybe focus on one thing and become a better developer and focus on one thing. But I think I kind of, over time, realized that my best skills are kind of acquiring and trying to be perhaps more of a generalist in some ways. So I think I kind of look at each project as, even if it's not gonna become profitable, what can I learn from this? Is there a new skill, a new tool? For example, a new app I've built recently. I tested out Glide apps, which is like progressive web apps and also print on demand. So combined two new things I've never done before into into an app to see if that's something that works, if it's something that interests me. And now that's something I've tried and tested and I can kind of move forward with that perhaps in a bigger and better project in the future. Yeah, that's a really that's a really intriguing way of thinking about it. And that's for tiny hello. I assume tinyhello.com. Um, so Tiny Hello is uh, more of a, like a craft-based business that's been around quite a while. That kind of started more as a on these kind of gig type of platforms where people can pay for different kinds of products and services. And that kind of became more of a streamlined product through the use of no-code tools where you can automate certain processes in order to make a craft business more simpler to run. But the most recent one was basically sort of a a language app for people who are traveling, who are either vegetarian or vegan, and they want to 
explain in a language that they don't necessarily speak uh, what their kind of dietary requirements are. So this was an app that I built. And then there's also some kind of t-shirts and merchandise as part of the app as well, using a print-on-demand platform. So that's kind of two quite separate and different business models and uses, but it was something that I could combine together two different things and find a way to launch a new product um, using those two together, really. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And oh, I just want to give listeners an idea of some of the, the things you've launched. So Tiny Hello, I just mentioned, which is send your love anywhere in the world, turn your words into a handwritten tiny letter that they will remember forever. And then there's namesace.com. And when I first saw it, I thought it was Namesace, like Versace. <laughs> but but when, <laughs> when I got there, I was like, oh no, it's Namesace. Find the perfect domain and finding .coms for uh, side projects. I think this is actually super cool to kind of leverage that skill that you've obviously developed because you you get you have some pretty good domain names. And then this other one is called No Codeo. So it's like a no code and the letter O.com, No Codeo. Sell your no code apps, templates, and domains. Once again, you've built so many of them yourself. And I know that you've sold, what about a fifth of, of the apps that you've built. So it's interesting to see I'm guessing you could almost trace your trajectory based on which of these things you built, because building no Codeo when you first started maybe wouldn't have made as much sense. But now that you have a whole cache of apps to sell, it seems to kind of fall fall in line. Definitely. I think as well, being part of different communities gives you these different ideas. So you'll see each one is probably for a completely different audience. And I think a lot of people would probably think that's a terrible idea. But I think for me, I'm kind of trying to find out which audiences are interested in things, which audiences are interested in free products or free paid products. And yeah, I think everything's just a learning experience, really, whether you pick a different audience every time and finally kind of realizing that it's, it's actually okay to do that. And if you're getting something out of that, whether that's selling the project at the end of it or turning it into a profitable business, I think there's lots that can be gained from just letting ideas kind of almost run wild in your spare time, really, and, and just seeing what comes of it. And so like how, how many out of these 42 do you still own approximately or a percentage, just some idea? Yeah, probably less than 10. Okay. And can you give us any idea of what type of revenue combined they bring in for you? And you don't have to give an exact number, but yeah, is... they, they kind of vary. I mean, I'd say hello, a tiny hello can bring in some months. This is quite low and some months it's a couple of hundred. Depends on how much I promote something. So what I tend to do is try and find opportunities to market these that kind of feel more natural. So I think people who perhaps shy away from sales, if you are a kind of a reluctant marketer, then what you need instead is time to spot these opportunities where it feels less salesy to kind of casually mention a product that you've had around for a while. So I think at one point, the card deck, which I've now sold was at its highest point, I think was about $1,800 a month. That was on a physical product. And then some months it was down to perhaps a couple of hundred. Yeah, so it's quite a wide range. And, and by all means, there's a lot of the time that these make nothing. And then sometimes something comes along, either something is launched on Product Hunt or it gets picked up on Twitter. And then there's kind of like a flurry of sales. And then it can easily go back down to nothing if you aren't marketing it full time. And just to kind of point out, I don't necessarily spend anything on advertising. I, I kind of try and try and do this as sort of organically as possible. And I've kind of realized that that's, that's my style. And I guess that that's okay. I would prefer to do it that way than try to force myself to talk about the same product every day, all day. And uh, yeah, I just try to drop products into natural conversations, into communities that I think would bring value to people and just hope 
that the product itself is kind of self-evident what the value is and then I'm kind of there to explain any additional features or help out as needed so yeah it's kind of a a very laid-back approach to sales really. (laughs) Right right it's much much less growth hacky and more just as you said, it's organic, right? And it's it sounds like that is your preference. And especially given that they are side projects and you don't have to do anything that you don't feel comfortable with, that seems like a perfectly uh, reasonable approach. Yeah, I think as well, uh, one thing to remember is that if you are working a full-time job, if you have multiple side projects, sometimes a, a project becoming too successful too quickly puts you in a dilemma where you have to think, well, what needs to give in order to let this fulfill its potential. So in some respects, keeping things quite low key is a way to protect your own time, really. So if I ever wanted to pick one particular idea and run with it full time, then I would probably have to sacrifice and not market some of the other things. So I kind of like having these assets that exist and occasionally sort of automatically make sales, whether that's an ebook in the background or physical products and things like that. I kind of like having this collection of things that kind of make surprising sales every now and again. And it's not too time consuming. It's not too overwhelming. And it's kind of manageable for me to continue on and build new things as well. It's a hobby. You know, it makes sense. It's not bringing in like a full-time salary, it sounds like. It, it's not like you could quit the job, but... Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I've definitely had products that have done that. I think, you know, I've had PodWords. I think at its highest had around five or six recurring clients with about, you know, a couple of thousand dollars a month MRR. And I've definitely had other physical products which have pulled in similar amounts in certain points. And there have been times when I have not been working at a day job and have been running running that is kind of a 50% of the time alongside contracts and consulting and things. So there's definitely the potential and I would definitely be be interested to have a product do that at some point in the future. But I think in the meantime, I need to kind of be careful and mindful of spreading myself too thin across lots of different things and not being able to do what it is that I enjoy, which is actually making and trying new things and helping other people to learn how they can do the same really. Right. And that's the freedom. You know, I often talk about freedom, purpose, and relationships as kind of guiding principles. And you're talking a lot about the freedom and the purpose part there, the freedom to do what you want, to have an app that produces half your income and then to consult or to work a day job and have stuff on the side. And then the purpose is, that's where I think hobbies bring a lot of that. sounds like you get a lot of happiness and enjoyment out of learning new things. And that can often lead to feeling that sense of purpose of like, yeah, my purpose right now is to create and launch these small apps and do a bunch of learning. When does it hit the point where you decide you want to sell it? Like, how do you make that decision? Well, that's a good question. I think when I've kind of absorbed as much out of it as as I had originally intended, so whether I've learned a tool to the point where I've kind of achieved what I originally set out to do, or whether I think a product is at a good point for somebody to take it over and be successful with it, I think a lot of people may be leave a product until it's kind of fizzling out and I would rather sell something while it has potential to become a bigger bigger thing so I tend to like sell my projects with even like a list of marketing ideas and a list of ways of going forward with it so I like to make sure that there's still a lot of untapped potential in a product and is it at a position that somebody could take this on easily is it is it able to be packaged up in a way that somebody could kind of hit the ground running and make the most out of what I have built already. Yeah. Does it ever happen you just kind of get bored with something and you want to pass it on to the next person? 
No, it's not necessarily about getting getting bored. I think it's more a case of it's served a purpose of what I originally set out to do. I've kind of proved, I kind of come up with a hypothetical, either a hunch or a guess and think, well, if I set something up in this way, I think this would work. This business model should be interesting to people, this pricing model. And when I've kind of proved that out, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be me that continues to run it. I think it's quite nice to know that there's people out there that perhaps haven't got the time to build things that are interested in picking something up that's been kind of proven and the time's been taken to get the processes streamlined and they can pick up something that they wouldn't necessarily have time to create themselves really. So I think it's it's kind of a win-win to kind of build these things and sell them on in some ways. Yeah, and you you actually published a tweet, my 2020 side project spreadsheet, 10 plus years, 40 plus projects, countless lessons learned, and you linked to a Google spreadsheet in there. So we will link that up in the show notes if folks want to check out because it's a yeah, I mean, there are literally 43, <laughs> 43 in there and several are dormant and several are retired, but you can see what's live and click through and several are sold. That's it's pretty cool. seems like uh, you've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's been good to share that. I think it's only been recently that I've actually started sharing what it is I've been building over the past 10 years or so. And I think the feedback I've had has been really encouraging and really helpful and hopefully I can kind of dig deep into some of the stories from each individual project and, and put some blog posts together and uh, that people might may find interesting if they want to start similar businesses themselves in the future. Yeah, my assistant producer put together some notes for me and it, and it sounds like you, when you go to sell these, you've sold them on sideprojectors.com, indiemaker.co, 1K projects, and then for no code stuff, no code exchange, and of course, no codeio, which is your own uh, your own site, marketplace type thing. Do other people post on no codeio or is it all your stuff? Yeah, it's only been started recently, a little bit earlier this year. So yeah, we've just started to have the first handful of projects to be posted up there. So yeah, they're going to go to be put live in the next few weeks. So it'll start being a, a busier marketplace quite soon. And I'd, I'd like to kind of switch up the topic here to almost educate myself a little bit and perhaps folks in the audience who I have heard of no code. And I know, you know, I typically think of, of Zapier, maybe Notion, Airtable, you know, there's debate, is Squarespace in no code or is it, you know, is it not or whatever. But th these are the tools that, that I have been exposed to. But I know there's this whole iceberg under the water that I've never even heard of. So just when I was looking through my system producer's notes that he put down for you, you mentioned a bunch of tools you use and like Boundless, Boundless which is boundlesslabs.com is one. And I click through and I start looking through it and I'm like, okay, so it's a site builder, no code required, cool. How is this, like just Boundless in particular, like how is that different than um, using Squarespace to build a site? Yeah, Boundless is more focused on the sort of app calculators that kind of side in terms of like the functionality of Excel or even going back you know into access and things like that the functionality of database driven app calculators and things like that that you can build with kind of that that logic and that workflow in something that is as simple to use as a landing page builder like Squarespace or Card and things like that. So it's kind of got that additional layer of kind of functional logic behind it to put those formulas in and create things that are interactive as opposed to a static site that displays text and images and things like that. So yeah, it's a really useful tool. It's, it's got uh, quite a, a lot of uh, sort of powerful features in there that can really build some interesting things. 
Yeah. Okay. That that's super helpful. Thanks. I, that was obviously a super noob question. When as soon as you started saying it, I was like, oh, so it's totally different. But I really couldn't tell because I have so little exposure to the to the new tools here. I'm curious, as someone who is obviously steeped in no code, like how do you describe it to someone if they've never heard that term? Yeah, I guess there's a couple of different sides to no code. First of all, there's the tools which people are probably familiar with and have used over the last ten years or so. So things like Zapier and uh, Webflow and, and landing page builders like Hard. So there's these tools that enable people to build quite complex systems and also link them together with integrations that don't necessarily require any custom code. The speed of which you can prototype something is incredible. You know, you can go from nothing to a, an app on 100 people's phones in a couple of hours. And I think just that speed of prototyping is a big seller of, of the no-code tools. But then there's also the community side as well, which is a huge thing that I've found most encouraging is that there's a huge community of people who are helping each other as well. So let's say 10 years ago, and I, I was building kind of sites in different no-code tools, which they are considered to be now, there wasn't necessarily people who could help me integrate one thing with another with another. And that just necessarily wasn't the thing developers have always been able to kind of find each other through the frameworks that they use and just this name of no code enables people to find other people like themselves and other people who build things like I do which is kind of it's really been an interesting experience to talk to other people and learn from them and share my things with them and I think if it hadn't been for the kind of no code community I wouldn't have shared the projects that I've made. Very cool. And yeah, I went and looked, it looks like you have used Glide Apps, or I guess it's just called Glide, but it's at glideapps.com. And their H1 is create an app from a Google Sheet in five minutes for free. And this is a mobile app. And I mean, I'm looking at the interface and this is, it's blowing my mind. It's like a landing page builder where if you need truly custom design and truly everything, then, then don't use this, then you need to write code. But it feels pretty powerful to me based on just looking at the kind of have an animated GIF on the homepage. Yeah, definitely. You can take a Google Sheet full of data and layouts and turn that into a progressive web app um, that feels like a native app on your phone in literally minutes. And I think the learning curve is kind of so intuitive that it opens people up to to building new things and, and even helps people to get into coding, really. There's lots of people who start out with no code and it makes it more approachable. It makes that kind of mindset and that thinking of the logical process of integrating tools together, it exposes you to things you haven't experienced before and is a great introduction into becoming a developer, much more approachable. I mean, you have another no-code tool that maybe is is a favorite one that you think other folks haven't heard about. I think the one I use the most is Card. And Card is at C-A-R-R-D dot co. It says it's simple, free, fully responsive, one-page sites for pretty much anything. It is a landing page builder, is it? Does it have more more functionality or more flexibility than other tools? Yeah, it integrates with other tools like Stripe and Gumroad. So you can build a subscription business, uh, have a landing page. I built a transcription business using Card, integrated with the Stripe to take recurring payments, insert tables and videos. And you can go from zero to one really quickly. And there's lots of useful templates out there that help people to build something that looks looks really uh, well-designed. Well, that's what I was going to ask because like I look at Tiny Hello, I look at Names Ace, and I'm struck by how attractive they are. Are these custom designs or did you pull those from card templates? So Names Ace is a card site 
I think mostly that was based on a very basic theme that I've customised myself with a layout. And Tiny Hello is just a, like a templated HTML, CSS template really, with some kind of custom design characters and things in there. So yeah, I think you can do a lot uh, combining reusable design elements into existing templates. The element of design can make something look really kind of highly polished and it can be quite simple underneath it all. Yeah, I mean, I was struck by that, that the design of these, I mean, I'll admit, you know, when I had, at my peak, I think I owned 12 revenue generating products, I'll say, but one of them was like a collection of like six AdSense websites back when that was a thing. And then I had an e-commerce website for Beach Towels. I had a couple of different eBooks in different niches. And then I had a bunch of software. Everything else was like little software products, some downloads, some add-ons, all that stuff. And my sites did not look as good as yours. <laughs> they didn't need to. They did the, they got the job done. But I mean, I was struck by typically when I see people doing, having a portfolio like this, you have some things that are a little long in the tooth, you know, or they're just not, not that well design. They're optimized for conversion rather than aesthetics. And, and your stuff looks really nice. As we move towards wrapping up, I'm curious, you've done all this in no code. Have you ever thought of building one of these no code tools like a landing page builder or what? you know, have you ever had a no code need that you thought it isn't solved? And so I'm going to build it myself. There's definitely lots of room for improvement in the no code space. There's lots of interesting things that people are waiting to be launched, things like browser extensions and things that kind of push the boundaries of things that can be templated. I guess for me, I don't think I have the skill set quite yet to build something that's a completely fully fleshed no-code product. I think there's definitely ideas out there that I would be interested in. I think I would probably build a small single feature thing. There's one thing I'm working on at the moment with a friend who's a developer to look at reporting through email marketing services and things like that to see if you can look at best performing email broadcasts and things like that. So that may, may be something that's on the horizon that could be almost termed a no-code tool for people to perhaps embed into Notion or embed into Slack or things like that. So there may be something in the future that is more custom coded and, and maybe of interest to no-coders to use. Yeah, very cool. Well, Helen, thanks so much for taking some time to join me on the show today. If folks want to keep up with you, it looks like you're at Helen Riles. It's R-Y-L-E-S on Twitter. Anywhere else they should check out. I've also got a site called Feedback Fridays, where if anybody needs wants to have a chat about their side project, they can go over to feedbackfridays.com. Sounds great. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you as always for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Helen. If you did, it would be great if you would tweet her out and thank her for coming on Startups Pod. I hope you have a good week. I will talk to you next Tuesday morning.